Penny Power joins me to talk about how powerful community can be in the process of building up a business and the way that she has learned to incorporate and really understand and bring about create engaging communities because of the power that community has brought to her in her life and what she's doing now, how she's learned from it, what her vision of the future and how community is going to continue to grow through and for her. Penny brings a couple of really powerful insights from her extraordinary experience working with the business of community. And one of her most powerful insights comes from her book, Business is Personal, which I personally have, I have read, I have enjoyed, I consider Business is Personal as a book to be a powerful tool to understand the way that bringing yourself into your business instead of trying to separate them can help you grow. So join, don't miss a minute of me and Penny Power talking about the power of community and business and using the power of community for business. If you love this, like, comment, share, you know, do the things. Penny, thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm so excited to have gotten to take you around the Pokemon offices where I'm sitting and show you around a little bit and to have you on the show with me. Would you like to tell the guests a little bit about who you are? Yeah, oh, it's, I've been really excited about this. To be interviewed by someone that's as passionate about community as I is is really exciting for me. I'm wondering, I'm just thinking, what direction is this going to go in together? So, so I'm also so Penny Power. <laughs> Penny Power is my name. It's not a made up name. I married Thomas Power in '90, and. So personally, I am a mum of three adult children now. We live in the south of England. And since 1998, I have formally dedicated myself to the concept of community, which started with building what is reputed to be the first social network in the world, which I'm very proud of, started in 1998, called Academy. So that was in a timeline that was four years before LinkedIn, four years before LinkedIn, six years before Facebook. And wow, I'm sure we'll use this subject, but this is very much was just led by a not commercial concept. It was just led by the fact that in 98, having been in the tech sector since I was 19, I, and that was in 1983 I joined it, I really could see that loneliness. You do and not look like you were 19 in 1983. <laughs> I mean, you're Pardon me, me for saying, you do not look like that. <laughs> yeah, well, so everybody's now trying to do the math there. So yeah. I'm 58. Yes, they are. What the other is, I'm born in 64. So, and I think it was led by the fact that technology is really exciting. I've always loved technology. I've been involved in technology from a sales and marketing aspect of it since I was 19. But it was really clear that the technology with the internet was going to start to disconnect us as well as connect us. Mm. So, my fear was that we would get disconnected as around our human needs and more connected around our needs for productivity and efficiency. And the technology would start to drive growth, but what about the, the human needs? And mm-hmm. so we created this social network for business owners, which went across the world. We were very proud of it. We had 5,000 offline events a year, but it was very, very vibrant online social network. 
with some very strong values around friendship first, commerce second. And, and so that was my real formal step into community, which has been my life since. But I think it stems from the values I have around family, around friends, and also my own experience of loneliness and a sense of disconnect that I had probably growing up and the environment that I grew up in. And I just like people to know they matter, like people to be heard and like people to be noticed. And community to me, great way to bond and create that attachment for people. That's lovely. I would say in hindsight, it turned out to be true that technology has done amazing things for our productivity and we have yet to get good at using it to connect to our human needs. Doesn't mean that it won't help. I, I think that the conversation you and I are having right now is proof that it can help and, and we have yet to get good at it. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's the, 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 the C word, the COVID, the pandemic experience did encourage a lot of people to go online with a different mindset which is really powerful in terms of a shift. But at the same time, it's also created a lot of lonely remote workers. So when we started Academy in 98, it was aimed at business owners who were going to be working out of their dining room or their bedroom. And we're going to, on their very nature of starting a business and running a business using that methodology of running a business being remote. But now we've obviously seen it spread massively into organizations. And we see an epidemic of, you know, uh, mental health issues regarding loneliness and lack of attachment and companies complaining of, you know, really disengaged, almost disruptive staff. Mm. And I, I think that community is a, a well-being strategy for a company in itself because one of our greatest human needs is to have a sense of belonging and to be able to contribute to others. Yeah. And, um, so it's quite an exciting time for you and I in this world of loving community because I think it can be misused. I think people call networks communities. Some people, you know, the word is being starting to be stretched too much. And I, I'm quite a purist on, on what I believe community stands for and, and what it should feel like when you're in a community. Yeah. I, I, I've said this before. You know, I, the the apartment complex I lived in in San Diego a thousand different apartments in the complex. And I loved living there. I was there for, for almost five years. And it called itself a community. And I knew not one, not a single one of my neighbors. And it just struck me one day while I was developing the approach that I've had for this podcast. This is not a community. And, and how dare they? How dare they call it a community? And we see the same thing on Facebook. Facebook groups that are calling themselves a a community and there are 30, 40, 50,000 members in them and, and good for them for attracting 50,000 people to be somewhat engaged in there. But that, but they're not, they are not a community. Um, you can't have community unless there's love. And we know when we are loved, you know, and when we have that sense of love, when we feel an attachment that is more, is, that's an emotional attachment. And I think the word community to me has an emotional reaction for me, a sense mm. of belonging. Yeah, I mean, I see this spring up a lot in the UK where we see big housing 
construction projects going on and it says, you know, housing community. And I think, wow, it's going to be interesting to see how cohesive they make that and how real that is as a community. But, you know, I think it we cannot underestimate how hard it is to create community. Yeah, it is hard. It, it, it re- really requires a very special form of leadership and a lot of commitment and a, and a culture. And, you know, some, a lot of people don't have that skill and they don't have that inclination. And that's something like most things to be good at. You have to learn it and practice it. And, you know, how many, 24 years in, I'm still learning because I'm learning citizens all the time, citizens of the community. So, yeah. Yeah. My, it could be done. I mean, we, it, it is actually possible for, for us to build a, you know, a, a, an actual uh, apartment complex that is community. It could be done. My, my high school girlfriend, <laughs> many, many years ago, my high school girlfriend grew up in a very truly, I don't say this tongue in cheek, but a hippie commune. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I would go and visit and it was, it was the, it was the weirdest feeling to me. And I had good community when I grew up, but it was still weird, you know, open door policies, people would wander in and out, really deeply love each other. The support that, that was there was something that I have over time grown to understand as really important, really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I had similar experience actually, because I grew up in a village and my parents were middle class, but in the village, the village was very divided between some people in social housing in an estate and then some of the bigger houses. And the bigger houses were all isolated and down tracks and everything. And I found it really lonely. And Mm -hmm. I used to watch the kids running around in the bikes and being able to hang out by the lake and the, the river and and my parents wouldn't let me do that because I wasn't allowed to mix. It was just awful. And then as I got a little bit older, I would just go into these friends' houses that I made. My parents would never know it. And, I, you know, I used to feel so envious of this family that was so bonded and was sitting around together. And the open door, as you said, that people, neighbours would come in and out. And I think that's the life I want is... The richness of life is people, not not wealth in the way that my parents lived their life. I felt like their life was such a prison. And um, so it's, you know, I think I've, I've yearned for it. But that, that lonely little girl sits inside me even at 58 because when you're, it's just oh, big breaths then, when you are, when you grow up feeling lonely and disconnected, it never leaves you. It, that emotion never leaves you, which is why I track it so much with others because you can feel lonely in so many different ways. It was interesting. I you know, a speech about community last week, but I followed a guy who used to be a war correspondent for the BBC and Sky, and he was talk- his son committed suicide last year. Oh, no. At 31. And you could see the burden this man, I mean, it was still so raw. It wasn't even a year, but he has created this charity called Baton of Hope. And then he's going to have this gold baton that's been created by a goldsmith mm. taken from city around the country because suicide is just on the rise so much, especially in young people. And 
when I went on to talk, I, my speech, I first, I, I kicked my speech off saying, you, we could all feel his burden, but actually the burden is society. It's not the parents because loneliness, it, you can have loving parents, you can have fantastic siblings, you can be in a beautiful marriage, but your sense of attachment to others and knowing that you matter, whether you, as you walk into an office, whether I, when I walk into Starbucks, when I buy my food from the exactly the same shop week on week in, I want to know not because I'm an egotist, but I want to know that I've noticed mm. and society needs to stop us feeling lonely. And there needs to be a, this community mindset rather than this individualistic mindset. It's all of our responsibilities to look after the mental health of other humans all That's the time it. and feel worthy of existence, you know? So it really drives me so deeply. And of course, I've dedicated it to the business world where I am seeing that become more, you know, even though it wasn't as relevant in 1998, I'm just seeing the relevance grow more and more. And I find it very interesting, and I'd love to have a discussion about this. There's a, a big technology firm that I know that's got 75 communities. And, and this is very typical of a lot of companies. They're building what they call communities, but they're getting no engagement. But the community's been for the company to gain, not for the citizens. And I think this is a thing we have to think about. How do we serve the citizens of a community, not how does the citizens serve us because we want to create a community? Mm -hmm. I agree. What a what a powerful statement. You 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 kicked off that that beautiful that beautiful little monologue with the richness of life is people. I mean that that hit me right square in the chest. You're so right. The richness of life is people. Wow. And and then you move forward and and shared that as a citizen of humanity, it is our responsibility to make other people feel connected. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we can do it. And we can do so, it. We can do it. Every single interaction, you know, from, from the delivery drivers, I'm going to put a big, you know, I'm going to put a note outside and put a big tub of chocolates out there for Christmas to thank them and say, help yourself to handfuls of chocolate when you come and deliver. And mm. You can do it. Supermarket, you can make every single person realize that they're noticed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the street, in a queue, you can tell someone they look beautiful. You could, you can, and I'm not saying that is community, but it is a community mindset. It is a citizenship attitude. And I, that's the thing that I think, whilst we can create a closed community like I have created this closed community of business owners, 100, and, and, but we can, have that attitude of being a citizen of the world in everything that we do, every interaction, and stop pointing fingers and blaming people yeah. for, for the lack of joy around us or whatever. Hug so, someone. Yeah, hug Sometimes someone. it's really just that simple. Well, it's interesting you say that because it's TJ, actually, my son who does this mental well-being stuff. He said that Yale University did a study and that, that they discovered that we all need seven hugs a day. Mm -hmm. And so he gave permission to use this in my keynote last week 
And basically she explained that after I talked about the importance of love and business and community. And then I just got, it was the, it was a dinner keynote. And I said to everybody, stand, stand up. So they were, and I said, right, I want you to hug three people. And then throughout the night, you need to find another four, hug, four people to hug. And it went mad in the room. Oh. And you could see that people weren't just going like, you know, a quick hug. Yeah. You could see they were burying themselves in one another. Yeah. They were, it was like beautiful. And we were starved of that for years, obviously, through COVID. And, but it's, yeah, hug someone and just show them that they matter. It's just pretty basic, isn't it? And that your girlfriend having that environment and the environment I stepped into when I was young, it was just love. It was just love. And that's what we need. Yeah. You know, the importance of just noticing others and giving some love energy. And, and what I love is that this is not fluffy really stuff. Not. There's science yeah. in this. There is absolute science. And if we look at our well-being, and this is what TJ talks about, you know, our neuroscience, our brain chemi- chemicals, we yeah. need love. Ocin is the hormone. It's almost like the Beatles knew a thing or two. Yeah, that should be soon. Um, we need it. And to me, community is the manifestation of being able to deliver that in an organization or in, in anywhere. And family, to me, is what you can model it on. You know, when you have a great family, all have diverse interests, diverse personalities, mm. diverse goals, diverse lives, you can be still bonded through mm-hmm. so many things as a family grows up. And, um, yeah, so I, I think my family values, I, I model so much on it, is on, on that sort of brotherhood of people and that feeling of being in family. So, yeah, yeah, we, were start, we started actually mentioning about, you, you said, you know, people are calling Facebook groups community. It, it irks me. Every single time I see it, I'm like. I know, I know. So what is it that you see about that? What is it that you see that's so wrong um, about it's, it's not the yearning or the reaching that bothers me. What I recognize is that people are reaching, they're, they're yearning for community. And so they're trying to, they're trying to find it anywhere they can. And I get that. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. What bothers me is that when you go and name a thing that is not community, if you name it community and you start treating it like it's community, I'm look, maybe, maybe you start treating it like it's community and it happens and actual real community emerges and that's beautiful. But when it doesn't, when actual real community does not emerge, then what we're left with is this this feeling of of dissatisfaction, and it's attached to the word. And I don't want people to go around yeah. with this this underlying feeling of dissatisfaction attached to the word community, and they will, because that's what we're training them to do with Facebook groups and and apartment communities that are not community every single time they enroll into a community and don't get what they need they're going to attach a feeling of dissatisfaction to that it's going to make it that much harder for us to be truly human yeah 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 well it's really good it's really good to hear you say that because it is something that drives me crazy and i think i think when we look at I mean, since 1998, when we started the Academy, Thomas and I have obviously tracked the culture of the online world massively. 
And when we started it, we started with the pure values of community and of, of everybody feeling an attention attachment. And they would use the words like, I belong to the academy. And then, then LinkedIn came on and I started hearing people say, I mm-hmm. use LinkedIn. And I was saying, I belong to the academy, but I use LinkedIn. And I oh, thought, fascinating. <laughs> one is a, yeah, one is. Yeah. One is a utility, I use it. One is a sense of belonging, hmm. I belong to it. And I think then as you track through the history of that, I think people people obviously, have, is, we've moved from social networking into social media, the mm-hmm. world of broadcast, the world of you know, shouting out, and then the whole, I don't know, fear-driven, ego-driven, scarcity-driven world of people shouting about how brilliant they are, wherever they're coming from. And then they've started to create groups where they're just getting me. It's fan-based groups. You know, join my group and I'll teach you how to be like me. And if they call that a community that drives me mad because they're not even interested in the citizens. They're only interested in their voice to be heard. They're not interested in the individuality of the citizens and the citizens don't have a voice. The citizens aren't being encouraged to rise up. And my belief is that when you create community, I rise, you rise, Mm. we all rise. A lot of these groups, it's about the leader rising. It's not about, and, and, and this takes me on to my first experience of being told I was a servant leader. And I don't know how many people have heard about servant, servant leadership. I would I can flag the book to read. I'm getting up from my desk here. Okay. Sorry. And you're seeing me in my trackpad. You're seeing me in the, my trackpad. The beautiful thing about um, this conversation is, is it, it goes where it goes. And you, you couldn't have been prepared for that. <laughs> Friday afternoon. Servant leadership is, yeah, lucky I had trousers on. Servant leadership yeah. in, <laughs> yep. in any direction. Robert Greenleaf wrote about this in the 50s. And my first experience of that was when I was 19, I went into an IT company to, to, to do telesales and sell computers to computer dealers. And there were about 5,000 computer dealers around the country selling IBM mm. and Microsoft and Lotus and a huge raft of hardware and software. And I got promoted mm-hmm. quite quickly about six months in and promoted above a team of six that were there before me. Congratulations. And my my first action was to sit with each of them, slightly intimidated, huge imposter syndrome, terrified of how angry they might be. But I, I asked each one of them, what can I do to help you? And they would sort of look at me confused. And there was a girl called Nicola who said, well, I need a company car. And I said, right, how do we get you a company car? And she said, I don't know. So, and she was a bit stroppy with me. So I went off to my boss and I said, how does Nicola get a company car? And he said, well, she has to be promoted to an external field sales role. She has to hit these targets, da, da, da. So I went back to Nicola and I said, Nicola, I'm going to help you to achieve these targets. And then if you do that, you're going to get a company car. And I went into serving mode. Mm. I served her. And that's how I treated them. And it was always the same in my relationships with clients, in my relationships with staff. And I did escalate very fast through the IT 
sector into quite a huge role. When I was 24, I had 120 staff and it grew and grew. And it was always so easy for me because it was only about serving the needs of the people in my team. And so community is exactly the same. You have to be a servant leader. Servant leadership is about how do you help the people in your community to achieve what they need to achieve in their life, whether it's an emotional thing or a, or a financial thing. How do you help them achieve? And once you cross the chasm of that in leadership, the community then becomes mm. beautiful. The other thing you have to achieve is true mm. citizenship. How do you teach citizenship to people, which says, I empower you to make this community what you want it to be yeah. for you. And I use that, the metaphor I use for that is if I move into a village and I've got my, you know, removal vans outside my door and we're offloading everything, somebody's probably going to be kind enough to pop and pop round and say, you must be really busy. Here's an apple pie or here's a glass of wine, right? They're being a citizen by doing that. And then I might pop into the local pub in the village in England, I might pop, I might use the village hall for nursery school for my kids. But I might notice that this has got a great patch of grass, but nobody plays cricket on it. And as a citizen, I might want to contribute that and come up with an idea and say to people, can I run the local cricket club? Um, yeah. Cricket club. And that's when in a community, you have to enable citizens to say, can I run this? And so we see within BIP 100 things popping up where somebody says, can I run a monthly 90-minute drop-in mastermind for members to do? Yeah, of course you can. Can I run a, a digital tools sharing group where we help each other understand the latest technology that's going to help us all be better at what we do and we can share that with you? Yeah, of course you can. So now our calendar of events are getting populated mm. by the citizens. And and whereas these community groups that are being formed on Facebook and being renamed, the citizens aren't getting the empowerment to say, I'd like to run this because that would threaten the leader. The leader would think that this is mine. I'm in control of this. And so it's it's this whole reversing what citizen, what community is. It's got to be led by the citizens where the leader purely facilitates and purely curates the nice culture and curates the right people to live in that village. It's, there's a, it's a methodology, it's a teaching, it's a coaching tool to get people to understand that because maybe that's just a light bulb moment for people. Maybe they just didn't ever realise that's what it was because we've grown up in a world of social media where it's all about broadcast and let me just talk to you. So it's we can... We can campaign and trailblaze a different attitude through citizenship. And to me, that's that's the beauty of it. I wonder if it's a process of maturing. Turning broadcast into an opportunity for citizenship. For me personally, when I first started engaging with social media, and the way you described it is really interesting, right? That it, it started out as social network and it became social media, which is a broadcast tool. And it's 100% true. I had no interest in social networks, none at all. I I was a physical world person until I had a thing that I, me personally, until I had a thing that I wanted to broadcast. 
And so I started using broadcast tools to do that. I used broadcast tools to broadcast and it, and it worked that way. You're, you're giving me language to, to talk about that experience. Once I was broadcasting and people started responding to my message, that's when I started being interested in social networking, not just social media. People are responding to the message. They're asking questions. They're giving feedback. In a very real sense, I had, you know, I, I started out in the food world. I had people doing food research alongside me. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. So you entered it probably, what, around 2004, 2005? 2010. 2010. Yeah, oh, that is when it really yeah. started to explode. Yeah, I know it is really interesting. I mean, it's. Thomas talks about doing becoming a university lecturer on the history of the internet because sometimes you have to know where we've come to from mm -hmm. to know where we're going, and I think we've come. Well, I think the world, you know, out, the world is mm. just shifting because we have we've just overused certain things and and used them and misused them. And there is so much beauty in the internet if it's used properly. There's so much beauty. I mean, Sir Tim Berners-Lee that created the concept, the World Wide Web, he did not want to create something that would create suicides and mental health and all the things and, and trolls and fake news and, uh, and bullying. And he did mm. not want to create that world. And I think... A friend of mine said to me years ago when I was talking to her about change and she said, so if I, if I pull up a ruler, I don't, mm -hmm. can you see this ruler? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not too see-through. She says, you know, if, if the world, if this is balanced, if this is the balanced world and we go too far this way, it has to rebalance and we go that, and then it starts off that way yeah. and then it comes back because change, Change doesn't just go like that. Change yeah. goes like that first, and yeah. then it comes back up. And I think we are going through that now where we've got into the internet, mass market got into it, billions of people joined it. The technology giants wrote the algorithms to create a form of habit. And we all went from balance to mm -hmm. this way to that way. And now we can come. And, and I, think it, I think we can come back because we can evangelize and we can we can know in ourselves what has become toxic around our lives, but we've just got to be part of bringing it back in line to the beauty that the internet can be. These conversations, being being in and creating communities that genuinely love and care for one another, we can rebalance all of this. We can. It's within all of our gift to do it because the technology can enable it. Penny, you're giving me hope. We just have to. We just have to be the people that create that change and and believe that that change is also going to be good financially because I'm not, I am, I'm a, an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm financially mm -hmm. driven as well. I've got financial needs. We, we are not financially free, Thomas and I. We've been through hell and back with that, that part of our lives and we are very much feet on the ground but I can absolutely, absolutely 100% prove that when you build social capital rather than just financial capital, and when you're in the right places, your business grows 
not by pushing, not by aggressive behaviors. It grows because people mm. like you and they know you deeply and they love you. And that sense of love gives you confidence and self-worth. And yeah, I'm, I'm on my, I'm on my, I'm on my soapbox here. Your business um, grows but I because just want people, people to- love you. Ooh. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I want that. I mean, Thomas and I have, we have a better business model now than we've ever had through having Bit 100 and through helping people grow, understand, grow community. And it's not scale. We don't need 650,000 mm-hmm. clients. It's not about scale. We just need people who believe in what we believe in and want what we can deliver. And and I think the world wants love and world wants to connect deeper and connect not with just the real world, people, humans. not with humans exactly the human the human within the world yeah so we need to bring that back and we can do it and companies can do it they can give people ways to feel good about themselves wow really powerful thank you uh as we're as we're wrapping up i have three questions they are my favorite three questions first one i'm ready where can people find you Where's the best way to send them? So probably I'm on LinkedIn and so Penny Power there. I've got a website, pennypower.co.uk. I, I'm very easy to connect with. I'm, I'm not a closed off person. I don't know. I'm on go. Twitter as Penny Power. I'm on Instagram as Penny F Power with the F in between mm. for friend. Nice. Next, yeah, this is when things get fun. What question would you like me to have asked you, but I haven't? Mm. Well, I think you could ask me what was the worst time in my life and how did it become the best? Wow. Whoa. (laughs) Penny, tell me about the worst time in your life and how did it become the best? So Thomas and I went through a 10-year period of real challenge, real financial challenge. Actually, probably, I'm going to condense it down to six years, from about 2012 to 2018, when the academy came to a very sad end, we couldn't battle the mindsets that were spreading across the world of broadcast and people not feeling they had a time for one another. And so the Academy came to an end and we were very strongly identified to that. But at the same time, there were a lot of other tragedies going on in our our world with my mum having dementia. My brother died suddenly pancreatic cancer. My sister's daughter died of cancer. Our beautiful daughter was abducted by three men and and raped by one of them. And this was all going on during a really difficult time because we were having we were paying down debt that was twenty two thousand pounds a month of interest to pay down the debt of when mm. the business went down. So and then Thomas then Thomas got pancreatic then Thomas got cancer in 2018. So we got six years where we just did not know which which side of life was up anymore. However, through it all we constantly kept loving and we constantly maintained 
some beautiful connections in the business world. And I wrote my book, Business is Personal, which was because I went to see a psychologist because I decided now that all the people that I loved was sort of okay, that my father was managing with my mum's dementia. My mum had passed away. My sister was managing as much as you can after her daughter died. My sister-in-law and her children were managing with my brother dying. My daughter was on a very strong path of success and success and achievement. We did a, did a, did a TEDx talk about does adversity help you find happiness? And as a result of that, I went to psychologist and I wrote my book. And I wrote my book from a real place of honesty around the mental challenges of being a business owner and how I managed that, how I didn't manage it at the time, and then how I learned to manage it. And that really gave birth to the happiest times in business that I've ever had. And it made me recreate and redesign the life that I wanted. And that's when we gave birth to a new business, Businesses Personal 100, which we are so proud, Lucas, that you are one of our, our members in it. And, and we took control of our life that had spiraled completely out of control. So the worst of my life created the best oh, of my life. That's lovely. Wow. Yeah. It was a powerful time. And I just... I suppose I want to leave with the fact that I know so many of us are going through such challenges now, financial challenges that are just horrendous. And Thomas and I, you know, at one point were valued at $60 million, no, 60 million pounds. What would that have been at the time? $120 million at the time, 120, 100 million. We had a very rich life. But, you know, the, the life got so busy. The machine we were running was so hard that actually what I said to you at the beginning, where people are the richest part of my life, we had just didn't have time for them. And now we live a much more conservative life than we had then, but it is oh. the happiest. We're in control of it. We have time for people. And so if anybody's losing money, worried about giving up their beautiful cars, their houses, the hope and the sun that will shine out of it is that you will really reconnect with yourself and the life and the you really want. people who love you. And the people who love you. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, Penny. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on Elements of Community. Make sure to visit our website, elementsofcommunity.us, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, We'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.